The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linia Patel. In today's episode, we'll be dispelling the myths of texture-modified diets. And for this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by two experts in the field, Caroline Hill, who is a freelance dietitian, and Gary Brailsford, who is a professional dysphagia chef. Hello, both of you. It's wonderful to have a conversation with you both. Um, Caroline, we've met before, but Gary, I've not met you before. So just to begin with, it would be really good if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So maybe, Gary, we'll begin with you. Okay. Um, I'm Royal Navy chef trained, and I've worked in care for approximately 14 years as a catering manager. So I've had lots of dealings with different diets and special dietary needs for, for residents in care. Um, and then I left to start my own business uh, doing Dining with Dignity, where I worked with specialist speech and language therapists and just picked up information around dysphagia. and was really interested in dysphagia and just trying to improve people's lives uh, and the food and, and drinks as well for people with dysphagia. So, Fantastic. So, I mean, to train as a chef and your Royal Navy, what was it? Sounds very, very professional. Royal Navy chef trained. So, okay. So, what does that entail? It entails uh, proper training, so um, formal training or, or, around catering. So, it's everything sauces, uh, soups, okay. stocks, and and it covers everything, baking and everything. So, yeah. So, it was okay. a really good for uh, formal training. Okay. And then, what got you interested in dysphagia in particular? Just that it was just something different uh, and you can really make a difference to people's lives. And I think it was because of looking at people's food that was being produced, it was really unappetizing. Uh, people were making a real big thing of it, saying it was really hard work, but I didn't think it was. And I just thought, this, you know, this is really interesting. You can really improve someone's lives around the food and, and make it look absolutely amazing. So yeah. that was where I started to do some work and just looking at how we could do that um, across where I used to work. So in, in Fantastic. Care. Wonderful. So we've got a professional chef and then Caroline, what do you do? Yeah, I'm Caroline Hill and I'm a registered dietitian, qualified over 15 years ago. Um, so started off my career like most dietitians in the NHS yeah. um, and then moved over into the medical nutrition industry. And that's where I started to get a bit more kind of an, an interest in the dysphagia side of things. Does something in particular trigger that or? Just because I was working within that arena within the medical nutrition industry and got to see kind of firsthand the impact that the solutions that the company manufactured were having on um, the lives of people living with dysphagia. Um, and actually the fact that being the dietitian, yes, dysphagia isn't something that we diagnose or treat, but it's such a key component of, of the patients that we manage. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, got that interest in dysphagia and, I've ne and it's never left me since um so so four years ago I left the medical nutrition industry and set up my own business um Caroline Hill Nutrition which has kind of several streams to it one is nutrition and consultancy services to like the food and med medical nutrition industry I also see private patients and um, for a variety of health needs um, and then I also do health writing as well um and out, alongside all of that, I work with Gary and also a speech therapy colleague um, to deliver training into care homes around dysphagia, 
texture modified diets and malnutrition under the umbrella of dysphagia kitchen um, and i've written several articles of the last few years into publications like complete nutrition and um, network health digest around dysphagia and the relationship between nutrition and why yes as dietitians it isn't what we are trained to do but how important it is because of that close overlap yeah so you sound like an absolute professional in terms of dysphagia and do you think that in general dietitians need more training then is that why you're so passionate about getting more information out there I don't think it's necessarily more training. I think it's just more, maybe more awareness um, of how they can collaborate, not only with speech and language therapy colleagues, but other healthcare professionals who are supporting um, patients who have dysphagia. Um, So the catering team and collaborating with them. So it's, it's a, and we'll touch on this, I'm sure, as we go through the, the session, but talking around more collaborate collaborative and sharing best practice so that we're not all just working in isolation mm. and ultimately that will benefit the end user yeah and um, I love the collaboration that you guys have because you know we're talking about the importance of working together and the chef working with a dietitian that's a wonderful partnership tell me a little bit more about that how does it work in practice you guys working together so I know you do said you, you do some training yeah so we deliver training into care homes and we've been doing that for for several years now as a collaborative approach um, we've done it as a mixture of face-to-face and also online um, obviously over the last couple of years um, and that is about bringing people from care homes together from a multitude of different backgrounds within that care home so not only the catering team but the care assistants um, mm. the nursing staff maybe even the care home manager and bringing them all together because it is everyone's responsibility um, mm. to ensure that the nutritional needs the dietary needs and also the kind of safety aspect with regards to dysphagia are all met um so our training is about bringing in the education around what is dysphagia and how it can be managed using texture modified diet and fluids and that's delivered by our speech and language therapist um and she'll also talk around kind of how to um support someone um with their eating and drinking if they do have swallowing problems Um, and then I touch on the the nutrition side of things um, and how important it is to ensure that people with swallowing difficulties have their nutritional intake optimized as much as possible whether that's through oral diet alone or whether it's using nutritional supplements Um, and then Gary brings in his, his amazing skills in terms of being able to demonstrate that you can produce safe tasty appealing nutritious food yeah it doesn't just look like it's sloppy on the plate exactly yeah um let's take a step back a little bit um and I don't know whether this question is for Caroline or for Gary or whether you can both kind of chip in but um what exactly is a texture modified diet and when is it used and why is it important we've touched on it a little bit but let's just um kind of spell it out a little bit more clearly do you want to go Gary yeah I mean a texture modified diet is it's uh, it's, it's food basically for someone that's got a swallowing problem. Uh, we use the ITSU framework uh, to to actually uh, follow the texture model. What does ITSU stand for, Gary? Break it, it down. For International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative. Okay. And it, it's a framework that we follow uh, to prepare food and drinks as well to get them uh, to be safe. And then we follow the framework, we can audit the food as well. So it shows you how to check the food, how to audit it to make sure it's compliant. And this is all to do with uh, pressure, texture, consistencies, sizes. So it's very, I call it precision catering. 
Okay. It's, it is precision catering. You've got to get it right. Uh, and when you do, it, it can make such a difference. But it's got to be safe. It's got okay. To be. So maybe talk me through that framework, because it sounds like there are different types of texture modified dyes and along that kind of framework. So I guess at one end and the other end, what are the differences between that diet and where are we in the middle? Okay. So we start with level three, which is a liquidized which is a fairly thin, so it could be um, like a fruit smoothie or like a, a thin soup, but it's going to be strained. So that's level three. You go to level four puree. Strained, so it doesn't have any bits in particular. Exactly, no, okay. no pips, no seeds, no nothing in there whatsoever. Uh, but we're still going to check the consistency using just a basic fork. So okay. we check oh, consistency okay. using a fork. And uh, what are you doing with a fork to see where we, there's that consistency? We put the fork into the level three, lift it up, and it should just coat the fork, but it drops through the prongs of the fork. Um, so that's how we and check. Is that stuff that you would use when you're training the carers, for example? Are those the tips that you're giving them in terms of how to make sure that they're using the different consistencies in terms of the modified diets? Exactly, because although you could, it's going to be audited in the kitchen, the carers uh, that were assisting the residents uh, can notice anything that's not quite right uh, using the fork and being able to check it. So there, there's a second portal call to be able to check it and make sure that this is safe, and that's really important. Uh, we turn the fork over as well for the level three and, and put across the line so you see the lines in, in the liquid, but then it goes back smooth straight away very quickly. Okay. So that's the level three liquidized. The level four is pureed. Uh, it's a thick puree. Uh, basically, the puree is the consistency. It's going to be thicker than the, the liquidized. And what we do, we put the fork in again. So we use the fork, lift it up. It will sit on the top of the fork, a little mound and a mm -hmm. little tail underneath. And then we need to do a, a fork tilt test where we put it just about two or three inches above the measuring jug we've got the product the, the puree on the fork we tip it on its side and do the fork tilt test um, we just tap the, the measuring jug and the product should be cohesive but not adhesive that means it comes off the fork in one go so it's not sticky if it doesn't come off the fork and we're trying to get it off then it's too sticky and can be dangerous and then we turn, turn the fork over and do the lines and it should hold the lines perfect um, so that's a level four. Then there's a level five and six. The level five is minced and moist. This is where it's all cooked soft and we chop it to four millimeters. Okay. Four millimeters for adults. Uh, and we Quite specific. <laughs> very specific, it's precision catering. So we use the prongs of a fork. You need to measure the prongs of a fork because sometimes the prongs of the fork can be different sizes. So we're talking about the gap in the fork prongs. So it's a really small, four millimeters is very small. We'll check that once. We just use a chopping board and knife skills and just chop it as if you're chopping parsley uh, and then put the fork down, just check it, audit it, make sure it's okay. And then we can just put it on the plate and present it normally present it uh, individually, so different uh, tastes. So we keep the vegetables separate, we keep the potato and the meat choice or fish or vegetarian choice separate. Um, the level six is soft and bite-sized. Again, it's cooked soft, so we use the fork to check that and it must mash down, uh, just turning the thumbnail white on the fork so it needs to change shape. If it doesn't change shape, this food's not cooked soft enough. And then we cut it to 15 millimeters, 1.5 centimeters diced and what's important is the size don't vary you keep the sizes exactly as they are so it doesn't cause confusion for um, the carers that are serving the food they can they should be able to look at the food and see exactly what's the three four five and six
Okay. And what's the risk if if um, people are not getting the right type of texture modified diet? Um, it could cause death if someone gives the wrong person the wrong food. So if you're on a level five minced and moist that you should be getting four millimetres and you get the uh, 15 millimetres, the wrong size, um, that could cause problems and, and could be fatal, unfortunately. So making sure the right people get the right food is probably one of the most important things. And that comes back to the role of kind of the speech and language therapist in all of this. They're the ones who will diagnose and then make recommendations Great. about okay. how to manage that dysphagia. So not everyone with dysphagia will need texture modified diet and fluids. Um, and everyone is very unique. Um, so just because you have a swollen issue in one particular area of the body or have it have a swollen difficulty as a result of maybe a stroke doesn't mean that you'll automatically be on a set level of food and drink. It really is very individual. And they'll make recommendations that's aiming to reduce any of these risks that might be associated then with that underlying swallowing, swallowing difficulty. Um, and then that, that recommendation can change, obviously, if they um, recover from maybe this, if that person's had a stroke and they recover, their swallow may recover, so they then may progress back to, to normal diet. Um, and the goal of speech and language therapy is always to put someone on, on the least restrictive form of texture-modified diet or fluids. Um, so it has that hopefully the least impact on kind of negative quality of life, but also balances out any risks of then swallowing unsafe consistencies. I think there's confusion as well that just because you're on a level four puree, people just automatically assume that you're going to be on thickened fluids. Mm. And and that, that's not always the case, as Caroline just said, that it every individual is, is totally different and needs to be taken on a base, um, separate basis and and, and yeah, they're, they're checked by the speech and language therapist. So we don't just assume that level four PRA is going to be on a thickened drink because that's not always the case. Yeah. And then the dietitian's impact uh, or the dietitian's role in, in this, Caroline, what is that? And I mean, do you look at nutritional status and things like that to make sure that they're getting the right amount for the type of texture that they're being recommended? The yeah, ask, definitely. Yeah. Is, this is a very personal podcast to me because my mum had a stroke and she suffered with dysphagia at the very end. And, and I noticed that when she wasn't getting the right texture of food, she just couldn't be bothered to eat or she was keeping it in her mouth. And over time, um, as a dietitian, I was very concerned because she wasn't getting the right nutrients, for example. Of course, yeah. So we know that about 50, well, up to 50% of people with swallowing problems and who've been diagnosed with dysphagia are at risk of malnutrition. So it's really important that anyone who has been diagnosed with, di with dysphagia is also referred to a dietitian um, because they're of that risk of malnutrition. Um, and obviously, depending on what their underlying medical status is or the reason for why they've developed dysphagia, that can have quite significant impacts on their ability to take normal consistency diet. Um, so, yeah, a full nutritional assessment is always recommended for anyone who's been diagnosed with dysphagia to make sure that you're trying to mitigate any risks of being any nutritional deficit. Um, obviously, if because dysphagia occurs a lot in the elderly population, they're already at increased risk of malnutrition, so they already might be in a poor nutritional status. They then develop dysphagia for whatever reason. That impacts their ability to eat normal consistency food. They're already eating inadequate amounts of diet to meet their nutritional needs. So they've got then a second barrier on top of that. So then the dietitian role is really to understand what impact that dysphagia diagnosis is going to have on their nutritional intake. 
Um, and one of the good things is that things are changing from a texture modified diet perspective and the food that be, has been pre um, prepared and provided to people with swelling pro problems is improving, which means then that gap is, is getting less. Mm. Um, but there might be still a requirement for then the need for supplemental nutrition, whether that's a form of oral nutritional supplements or tube feeding. Um, so yeah, it's really important that anyone who's got diagnosed with dysphagia is also assessed Absolutely. by a dietitian as well. Fantastic. Gary, you mentioned um, one of the misconceptions there was around um, texture modified diets. Are there any other common misconceptions? A lot of chefs think that you need to cook the vegetables, um, so I say to within an inch of its life and it's been boiled until it's really soft. And you don't need to do that because it's not rocket science. If you overcook the vegetables and they're watery, once you puree that down, the puree is going to be watery. So this is about removing uh, liquid uh, and there's ways that you can do that. So you can put onto the heat and evaporate, for instance. And one of the recipes that I did with baked beans was when we uh, pureed it and strained it and got rid of the pith in there. It was a bit thin. We put it on heat to evaporate it. Uh, and you can, you know, it, 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 I suppose it's just what people think that, you, you know, you need to do certain things. And and, and I'm sure um, Caroline agree that, you know, if you're putting liquid into, because a lot of chefs pour water into some of the vegetables as well, when they're blending down just because it blends easier. You're watering the, the, um, the nutritional content down and you're making it risky because the, the, the consistency is not right. There's also... And the taste, yeah. it's like I guess, watering down right? your roast dinner, you know, and then puring it, it, it just won't taste very nice, and you know, the nutritional content will be less. There's a big thing that people just think that you need lots of equipment, and 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 you really don't. You don't need lots of equipment. I think you just need to treat the food with a bit of respect, and you need to cook mm -hmm. the food two different ways. And a, and a lot of the problems that chefs go into kitchens and they're running around and they cook the food one way. And normally, if you're working in the care home for the elderly, they'll overcook the vegetables so they're nice and soft for the residents. So that's fine for your levels uh, five and six, but for your puree, it's just going to be watery. So you need to cook the food two okay. ways. Fantastic. I didn't know that. That's a fantastic tip. And are there any other flavors or perhaps herbs and spices that you use? Or what are your other tips to make food a bit more tasty? To make it tasty, I, I, just, I just cook food properly traditionally as well i think that traditional you know if, if you're trying to if you're looking after the elderly in care i think that you know they want traditional food so we try i try i'm traditionally trained so i don't use the same herbs in everything i try and cook things traditionally so if it's a stroganoff for instance i'll put lemon juice and parsley in there i don't just put mixed herbs into everything and i think that's really it you know or putting cream into everything you know, you you need to put what's appropriate in there and to make it taste like what it should be, really. And I think that's key. It really is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, talking about adding cream in there, nutritionally, Caroline, um, how do you manage um, or how do care homes manage it when they've got um, patients with differing nutritional needs um, when they also have to modify texture? Yeah, so it can be done, obviously, as I've already mentioned, a lot of people with dysphagia will have increased nutritional needs particularly on the calorie and protein front so then that's where food fortification techniques can still be used um the just what one watch out is don't necessarily doing food fortification techniques on things like your vegetables as gary's mentioned 
adding liquid to things like your carrots and things is just going to dilute them. Could you add butter, Gary, or or olive oil, something like that? Would that change the texture and I, I say cook the carrots in butter, but don't add butter to the carrots. I say fortify what you can fortify. Um, so cream potato, you can fortify. Uh, and and I, I, I like things to taste as it should do and, and taste different. I think that's quite important. But getting that fortification right, I understand that you need to do that definitely. But I think it's appropriate that you fortify what you can fortify and that will not um, detract from the taste. Yeah. Okay. Caroline, back to you. So you were saying um, fortification is one way. and then... Yeah, definitely. And obviously then you might have people who are at the other end of the spectrum who maybe still have a swallowing problem, but might have diabetes or be overweight. And then that's not about adding, it's not about food fortification across the board. So it's about treating everyone with dysphagia who was on a texture modified diet as the individual that they deserve to be treated as. And if they have specific needs, whether that's healthy eating um you know or energy dense type diets that you can still cater for that um and it's about adapting the existing menu to allow for that i love that because it's also personable because you get different different um diets that are different ethnically and so you're still able to make all those texture modification yeah Um, yeah and the key just then comes back to communication communication between the dietitian and the catering team so the catering team are fully aware that yes, this person may be on a texture modified diet, do they need food fortification or actually is it more about um, healthy eating for them or low salt or whatever it might be. Um, and I know Gary's got some really practical tips about how to kind of manage that in a kitchen environment um, so that communication is really visible. That's a key point because what I say to them is that uh, CQC, they will want to see that you're meeting the individual's dietary requirements. And if you're not doing that, you may as well go home. But you have to meet those individuals' dietary requirements for each individual resident. So what Caroline says is right. I normally ask chefs when I do my training and say, do we fortify the cream potato for everyone? And some of them will say, yeah, we do. And I say, have you got any residents that need to lose weight? And they'll say, yeah, three. And I say, well, that's not meeting their individual's dietary needs. You might need three types of cream potato. So low fat with skimmed milk, uh, so low fat margarine, then we'd have normal cream potato and fortified cream potato with maybe some butter, some cream or some cheese in there. So it's, it's getting that right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's about trying to break down that perception that texture modified diets is difficult. It's about catering for the individual needs of every resident, whether they've got requirements from a texture modified diet perspective or not um, they're no different to any other resident and it's about making sure that their needs are exactly met rather than it being seen as maybe a bit of a burden that oh well they need a PRA diet so right we'll just have a blanket approach yeah yeah no I love that and I was going to ask about thickening agents but um, what you've just said has made me think of another question which is um, but if you've got a care home and they've got uh, different um, patients with different um, uh, texture diet needs, then it is going to take more time to create all those different meals, right? So do you get pushback in terms of the time that it takes to prepare the different um, meals? Or actually, is that just about knowing what you should be doing? I always say that you should have a kitchen sheet with all your dietary needs on there. So if you, so you know exactly how many of each uh texture modified diet you're going to be preparing and you just work backwards which is what chefs do it's all about timing so you work backwards uh, you need to do preparation uh, 
Mm. So some of the vegetables you can do first thing in the morning uh, and you can cook these vegetables first thing and, and you're going to cook them two different ways. And then you can either puree the level four or you could dice the level five or six and get them done. And then you're going to do the cream potato throughout the day and the protein item would be last. So it's just thinking about that. I mean, as I go around training, uh, I hear lots of chefs say to me, I haven't got time to do the food like that. This is going to take me too long. And it is, it, 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 it's not true because you're going to puree all of the products anyway. So it's just about presenting. If you know the skills, how to present the food, it really doesn't take that long. It's just been um, supported and being trained and showed how to produce that food and how to present it. Uh, and normally chefs are very flary and they'll come up with some different techniques and making it look really good. Uh, and it's a journey. I say that I'll show you and I'll, I'll show you from A to Z what you need to do and you can take components out. And, and make it work for you because every kitchen's different yeah. time is one of the hardest things to um to try and get right but it is about preparation it's called yeah. mise en place preparation prior to cooking so that's mise en place chefs, i love that <laughs> that's what chefs are trained so it's not cooking the food it's just preparing it um as if it was a, a party that you're cooking for someone you wouldn't go and do cook straight off in the evening when everyone's arriving you would do some preparation uh, and we're not cooking it we're just doing some chopping and just helping you to setting yourself up not to fail yeah yeah i think what's probably quite nice as well is for dietitians to almost feed back into the catering team kind of the successes so where you know they've a chef's been implementing like food fortification for texture modified diets and that's made an improvement to someone's nutritional status dietitian actually feeding that back to the chef so they can see that the impact that they are having totally um so the communication being important yeah. exactly exactly um and i guess you know in a hospital setting for example there are dietitians who then work with the chefs but i mean what's the scenario in um, care homes in terms of how they approach um, the preparation and development of working with texture modified diets have you found that it differs or how do you approach it when you do your training have you trained people within care homes and what are your top tips for them I, I train in care homes all the time and I've done that with Caroline and, and, and it every home is different. Some people are really proactive and are really working hard and, and will want to get people in and, and want to learn how to do the food. It really does depend on each individual. Uh, I say that you need to go in and do a whole home approach. So it, 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 step, it starts from the manager. So the manager is a stakeholder and, and they need to come on the training. And for me, I find that when I go homes and do training and the manager doesn't come or the deputy, it, it gets diluted down. I mean, I've been in homes where just the chefs come to the training and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. It, 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 well, it can work for the chefs, but they'll come up against issues with the carers and the nurses and anyone involved with the food service because they're just not, they've not had the same training and support and it, and it does cause issues. Yeah, so whole home approach, preparation being key. Do we have any others? Any other tips? Communication, I think you hit. Communication is one of the biggest things to get right. I always recommend a dysphagia champion, someone who is in care, maybe a carer, not a, a senior carer, who is good at communicating, will listen to maybe the, the moans and groans about the problems with the food, but then go down and be constructive and talk to the head chef mm -hmm. or the chef in the kitchen for a continual improvement. And it, and it does work. And then care and catering don't normally talk to each other very often, very similar roles, under pressure, lots of deadlines, and both, both really caring. 
but they need to start working together and communicating and talking to each other. Mm. Uh, the homes that do, it really works. Works, yeah, yeah. and there's a difference. Um, in all the work that you do, Caroline, I, um, I'm sure you mentioned recipes in there. Is it useful as resources to have recipes or actually are we sticking to the fact that we're cooking traditional diets? So you're cooking the things the same way. You're just needing to get upskilled with how you modify the textures. I think it depends on the individual. So I think some people re really rely on recipes, but there's still going to be variation within that. Um, depending on, you know, you might give a weight of a, particular vegetable to use for example um or you might give the number of carrots to use which is going to then create variation in terms of how it's then cooked how much water is absorbed um, and then the final results so i think recipes are a useful guide and can help build confidence with individuals but i think for me it's going back right back to the basics and getting the education right in the first place so that the recipe can be part of a toolkit um, and they're not necessarily 100 reliant on them because they're confident then about what, how that food's behaving. And as Gary mentioned right at the beginning, um, as part of the EDC framework, there are um, there is an audit tool for each of the different levels. And I think people being familiar with that, whether you're a chef or the person who's then also serving the food, yeah. um, because food does change over time, um, and making sure that you're confident in understanding that actually it does meet the level um, and the description that are set out so yeah recipes I think can play a role um but not to maybe be 100% relied on yeah I don't know what your thoughts on that are Gary yeah there's lots of things that can be affected so we're talking about uh training it could be equipment it could be time uh because there's different equipment so some people use steamers and combi steamers and things like that some people use cooking with saucepans so it really does depend on there's lots of things that come into the equation and i think they all need to be considered and and, and really be, be thought through i totally agree with you that i think they are a good toolbox but a lot of chefs don't always follow um, recipes to to the letter uh, baking and cake making and, and desserts yes you, you need is precision so you really have to but sometimes is interpretation as well and i think that uh, different equipment will work differently sometimes so you have to go with the flow and adapt and maybe I, I totally agree with set recipes I think recipes are really good for consistency for in the production of food so for instance if you're in a home and you make a quiche then we should all make the quiche that way so a resident knows what they're getting and it's the same as a quiche last time so we're not doing it completely different i know i don't want to stop flair and things like that but if you're an elderly resident in, in a care home you and you and you order quiche and it was lovely last time then you want it the same next time <laughs> um and it doesn't always happen unfortunately so you shouldn't know who's in the kitchen yeah yeah no so. Absolutely. And I guess also communicating to carers or people who are involved in um, modifying uh, the, the diets is really important. So how do you positively communicate so that you really get the emphasis that it's important that they eat within this texture diet? I think it comes to education, which is why what Gary mentioned in the training that we do, it's about getting everyone on board um, rather than just maybe targeting the maybe the nursing staff or the the chefs in the kitchen it's about actually the people on the ground who are supporting people with their eating and drinking getting them to understand actually what is dysphagia um, and how it's managed through texture modified diet and fluids and then what they can look out for 
and not be afraid to question anything and not be afraid that if they think a food's come out from the kitchen if they don't think it's right to push back on that and not be afraid of that mm. I definitely agree I agree with that that the chefs sometimes need to hold their hands up and, and you know they might have some DNA on the, the carers not covered in and bypassing them because if they're really busy and under pressure but I always say if you get a chef that um, reacts in a certain way just say look you know we need to work together that you know this is uh, we're, we're trying to do this together we're all caring and we want to make sure this is safe it's both of our reputation so we need to work together and I think it's important that communication is constructive as well I say don't just come down and tell us when the food's not right tell us when it's good yeah the feedback the communication yeah Yeah. and and it improves the teamwork and and you know that one home approach it really does and I think it raises awareness you know I'm a firm believer that come and see what it's like in the kitchen you know and come and work in there and and no different I say that to the chefs that you need to treat the carers with a bit more respect because that dining experience it's an extension of your food mm. and if the food's served well it, then it's your reputation as well so you, we need to get all get this right i think like you've mentioned earlier gary the role of a dysphagia champion can be so valuable in helping to just kind of bridge that gap between care and catering um, and make sure that kind of everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet and ultimately the resident or the patient's getting the best food the best care with minimal risk um fantastic i love the idea of a dysphagia champion um and what have you had success stories of of a dysphagia champion working within the work that you both do that you can share i've i've seen it yeah in care homes uh normally you know we've 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 had carers that are interested in nutrition so i think it helps if they're interested in nutrition and then they'll take it forward and you know uh, where I've worked before in a couple of care homes, you can see the improvement. You can really see the improvement. Um, I, t- I tell a story that when I um, used to work uh, for a provider that we we stopped people pouring gravy over the top of the food and it did cause issues. <laughs> it did cause a bit of chaos. But in the end, when we explained the reasons and did the training and the support, they could see the reasons why. And, and it, it, it really did work. And the feedback from the, the staff to the dysphagia champion was amazing. Yeah. The food, was, and, and it was just continual improvement and it just went upwards and upwards. It was great. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the questions I was gonna ask um, before was around thickening agents. Um, so the use of thickening agents and how that works in practice. Caroline, do you have anything to add in ter- terms about thickening agents? Um, so I think I'll hand that over to Gary because he's more of an expertise in terms of the um, the cooking side of things. But I think I would say you don't need to use them. There are other things that you can use. Um, and it all depends on what you're starting with when you've prepared the food and what consistency it is at that point. It's not an automatic that you need then to add a thickening agent to alter the consistency. Um, but I'll let Gary explain in more detail from a practical perspective. I don't personally use uh, thicker in the food. Yes, it can be there as an aid, uh, but I cook my vegetables a certain way. So I cook them al dente. When you puree it down, it's colourful, nutritious. And when you blend it, it's a perfect consistency. For the levels five and six, it's cooked soft. So we're going to cook the food two different ways. Um, I don't really, there's natural thickeners out there. And I hear people saying, well, we'll put some cream potato in with products. And I say, no, don't do that. Because everything's just going to taste of potato, cream potato. So I like things to taste like what it should do. So, for instance, if you had some chicken 
Uh, you need to cook the chicken properly, first and foremost. So literally not overcook it for an hour so it's stringy and it's really not very nice. It, you're going to cook it properly, get a nice sauce, put that with it. And if you do put too much gravy in, you can put a stuffing ball in there. Yes, it's breadcrumbs, but it's flavoursome and it will improve the chicken, the gravy and the stuffing. It would taste amazing and it can help recover that consistency and get it back. And I guess also more cost effective than maybe using a thickener. Yeah. And it and is also you can evaporate, put on the heat. But I say cook it right in the first place. Treat this food with respect. I always say to the chefs, cook the food as if you're cooking for your director. <laughs> Fantastic you tip. You want to keep your job. And if you do that and treat the food with respect, then you will cook the food as it needs to be cooked. Um, but yeah, there are times when it doesn't quite work. But there are things that you can do, for instance, if you overcook carrots and they're quite watery and you think, oh, I shouldn't have cooked it that long. If you cook some parsnips, they're quite starchy and you can combine the carrots and the parsnips and it helps to get that consistency back. Love it. I love those tips. I think I think what's really nice is that if you're not relying on other factors to achieve that safe consistency, your end result then is purely food based and tastes amazing, which then is obviously going to help someone's appetite and help improve their nutritional status, which is what is so important, as well as obviously making sure that it's safe and be and, enjoyable. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I think for so many years, people with dysphagia have had to kind of accept that they just are yeah. going to have slop in a bowl Absolutely. and that shouldn't shouldn't be the case yeah um, and there's no reason for that just with more education and more knowledge and people being equipped you can really change change things and I think that's really powerful yeah um, so these these patients or residents aren't forgotten Absolutely. Um, just because we've got dysphagia and swallowing problems. No, absolutely. Um, we're coming to the end of our time. and It's been fantastic chatting to you both. Um, and at the end of each podcast, um, I ask speakers to give three main takeaways from the discussion. So today's podcast has been about dispelling myths of texture modified diets. So Gary, I'll go first with you. What would your top three tips be that you would like our listeners to take home today? Treat this food with respect. And I say Prepare the food as if you're looking after one of your parents. So if you treat the food right, so that means we're going to cook the food right. We're going to cook the food two different ways. Uh, make sure you follow that easy framework to check uh, that it's right. Mm -hmm. And you can do some preparation. You can do preparation. It will help you with your time. You just need to use your time wisely uh, and make sure you've, you've got good equipment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do a wish list. Make sure you've got everything you need. And, and if you follow that easy framework, you won't go far wrong. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily need super fancy equipment, right? No, it doesn't. No. And just think about how you're going to uh, present it. Yeah. You know, try something different. Try, you know, don't be afraid to, to pipe it, uh, to layer it, to do what you need to do, to deconstruct food as well. Yeah. And, and, it, and it can be amazing. To make it look good. Yeah. I love those tips. Caroline, what are your top tips? Um, so I would say collaboration. Collaborate with all stakeholders. So as a dietitian, don't be afraid of 
going into the kitchen and having a chat with the chefs and, and the catering team and understanding what current practice is in place and maybe if anything needs to be changed or improved upon. That visit are actually doing a fantastic job already, but having that knowledge, I think, is really powerful. Um, and then obviously collaborating with your speech therapists um, mm-hmm. and your carers as well to, to support those people who are living with dysphagia. I think another thing we've already touched on this was around don't forget the individual dietary needs of individuals. Just because they've got swollen difficulties doesn't mean that they are all the same. They might have additional comorbidities that mean there are additional nutritional or special dietary needs as well. Um, And then kind of a final tip that I think is quite useful, and it kind of links to um, the perception a little bit around like oral nutritional supplements. You know, you you can sometimes talk to healthcare professionals and they'll say, oh, oral nutritional supplements they taste horrible yeah and I think there's that similar perception with period diets oh period that's oh that's absolutely disgusting actually get involved can you try some of the food that the catering team have prepared because you're going to be pleasantly surprised because if it's been prepared where the food's been respected and it's prepared and presented in such a way that it looks and tastes appealing you'll be pleasantly surprised and then that will help to kind of build your confidence then when you're saying to serving that food or supporting someone who needs assistance with their eating and drinking, that you're not just giving them a bowl of slop. You are giving them something that's going to probably make their day. Yeah. Um, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it sounds like texture modified diets have evolved. Where do you think they're going to go in the future? I think they're going to improve. I really do. I think that the awareness has been raised um, years gone by where we probably put all of the food into one bowl and was blended together, or even if it was blended separately and people used to pour gravy over the top. This has changed. And people are actually thinking about, they're actually following these care plans properly from the speech and language therapist. Uh, and obviously that's not a recommendation so they're actually thinking about it and they're thinking about the presentation as well they want this food to look good it's got to be dignified so yeah I think the food's improving and I think it'll only get better. Caroline? And I completely agree with that sentiment and I think purely from a nutrition perspective historically kind of the nutritional content of texture modified diets has been shown to not be quite nutritionally adequate particularly in terms of calories and protein but I think now that things are changing and practices improving and um, awareness is is um, more raised around the importance of texture modified diets and getting it right means that naturally the nutritional intake is going to increase and I'm, I'm quite confident that if we did further research and looked at actually where texture modified diets are produced to a really high standard the nutritional content of those meals will be um, just as comparable to a to a normal diet, um, which is it, which is great to see. Um, but yeah, that research hasn't been done yet. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the finding. Exciting stuff! Wonderful tips and really practical. I've loved our conversation. I've learned so much, and I know our listeners would have learned a lot as well. So thank you very much both for um, your expertise uh, in today's podcast. Thank you for having us. It's been brilliant. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.